Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. What a lovely day. Lord's really has blessed us with the weather this week. I can remember some very hot reunions, and it may get a little hotter later today, but it's been really very pleasant uh, in the mornings. I wonder, Brother Kyle, would you mind if I ask you to start us off class here with a word of prayer? There's a microphone, Josiah. Thank you. Father, we want to thank you for this beautiful day and this cool weather. We want to thank you for this opportunity to gather that we can learn more of thee in thy ways. And we pray in a blessing upon those that have gathered that our hearts truly might be open to you and our ears that we might hear. And we just pray for your guidance and direction. So we're asking for the Holy Spirit to be with each one here, and especially our teacher, that you would bless him. Help us to receive what will be given. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. If you uh, if you have a handout from yesterday, we're going to continue on using those. And on page five is uh, entitled Tuesday. I think today's Tuesday, isn't it? That's one thing about uh, reunion. I have a hard time keeping track of what day it is, but... Uh, Our theme for today is a light breaking forth. And I did try to print some more handouts yesterday, and I failed. We had a a technology breakdown there, and so I apologize. I don't have any more handouts for you, but it's not needful. I'll give you the scripture references as we go through uh, today. But we're going to talk about this daily theme of a light breaking forth. And as I studied this out, there's lots of things came to my mind on that particular subject, you know, just immediately popped into my mind. But let's start with the uh, the reference scriptures that uh, were given as part of today's daily theme. And the first one is found in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 45, and it's verse 2D. And we're going to start by just reading this verse to begin. And it says, And even so I have sent mine everlasting covenant into the world to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people and for the Gentiles to seek to it and to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. And there was a lot that is in that one simple verse that I think is worthy of uh, talking about today. Of course, you see, uh, once again, light is mentioned. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the light, the light that is with our Heavenly Father, for He is light. And we see here that this everlasting covenant has been sent into the world to be a light to the world. And you know the thought that came to my mind was, if you think back uh, to the Old Testament times and the, what uh, was recorded back in those uh, early verses, those first five books of the, the Bible which were given to Moses or through Moses, and I thought about that uh, light that led the children of Israel 
you know, after they had left Egypt and, and wandered in the, uh, the wilderness. I say wandered, but they were guided very clearly out of Egypt by the hand of God and that through the power of that prophet uh, Moses. And if you look at the, uh, the book of Exodus in the 13th chapter, uh, verse 21, this is what came to my mind. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. So the Lord was with them 24 hours a day, wasn't he? He was there by the daytime in a cloud and at nighttime as a pillar of fire. Can you imagine, you know, sometimes I'm uncertain as to which way I should go. But if there was a pillar of fire in front of me, I think it would be pretty clear on which direction needs to be gone. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. What a blessing that was to them. Can you imagine that kind of light, such clarity on which way uh, to go? And then the other thing that stood out to me in this, uh, in this verse was not only that that everlasting covenant would be given to the world to be a light to the world, but also to be a standard for my people. Saints, what is a standard? Something for you to measure up to. I have that all the time with my profession. So I work for different clients, and one of the first questions I ask them is, do you have any standards that you want me to go by? I design buildings, and sometimes these clients have specific standards that they want to be met. So thank you, Brother Steve. Is there anything else that comes to mind as to what's the definition of a standard? A banner. Thank you. That's what I thought of first, was a banner or a flag. And if you think about, let's go back to the children of Israel as they were, you know, as they departed out of, out of Egypt and they were uh, in the wilderness. Look at the book of uh, Numbers. If I can find the book of Numbers. Somebody sing that song for me. The books, my, my wife's not here to sing the books of the Bible. Elisa, you know that song, don't you? <laughs> I won't put you on the spot, that's all right. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 2 says, this is Numbers chapter 2, verse 2, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign of their father's house afar off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. So this standard was a flag, and it was interesting that on that flag was an ensign or a symbol, if you will, of that particular tribe. Now, I'd encourage you, and we're not going to do it today, it's a fascinating study to study the second chapter of the book of Numbers because it describes for you, as you go through there, exactly how they camped around the tabernacle of the Lord. So the tabernacle was in the center, 
And then it says, and I'll just quickly point it out to you, in verse 3 it says, on the east side towards the rising sun, that's where Judah pitched their tents. And then down to verse uh, 10 was on the south side, and it lists the tribes on the south side. And then on verse 18 was the west side. And then on verse 25 was the north side. And it goes through and tells you very clearly where the camps of Israel were supposed to be. And it gave you how many were in each of the camps. And Ephraim was a pretty substantial number of folks that were in the camp of Ephraim. And if you take a look at the the numbers of the members of the tribes of Israel, and you place them east, west, north, and south, and if you do it in proportion to their numbers, it takes the shape of a cross, which is really fascinating to me. I, I learned that just recently as I, I did a study on that. You know, the Lord is in the details, and he knew that, that that, that would be a, um, a symbol or a standard for them. Really, the cross, isn't that a standard for us, a banner under which we, uh, under which we uh, rally and worship? So, uh, you know, as we go back to that section 45, uh, verse 2, the, uh, the light to the world and a standard. I also want you to take a look uh, at the book of Isaiah in the 49th chapter and verse uh, 22 says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms and thy daughters shall be carried Upon their shoulders. This is a, a promise to again to the house of Israel of how it is that the Gentiles are going to care for them. And the Gentiles actually will be able to have this standard set up that they can nourish the, uh, the house of Israel. So all of these standards, I think, are, uh, are an interesting uh, study. So a standard is a flag, a standard is a, a measure, a point of measure. And I always think about um, that scripture, you, you from Buckner have heard me talk about it many times, where the, the Lord stood upon the wall with a plumb line, and he laid that plumb line out, and it was from that perfectly straight line that the house of Israel was judged perfect and straight and true. Does everybody know what a plumb line is or a plumb bob? Lola, you know what a plumb bob is? It's like a little brass weight, and it goes to a point, and it's hung by a string. And I can take that string, and I could put it at the very top of this roof and let it hang all the way down to the floor, and when that plumb bob stops moving, that means that is perfectly straight up and down from both directions. And that's how the builders built things back in the olden days. We've got laser beams nowadays that people have forgotten how to use plumb lines, but uh, for thousands of years the plumb bob and that plumb line has been used. What a great type or example of which to measure because we're talking about the truth. 
And the truth is a truth that doesn't vary, does it? All right, I've done a lot of talking. Kyle? Light always, I hadn't considered that, Kyle. Light always travels in a straight line. Josiah, you got to be fast with this group. Boy, they go, they comment quickly. Yeah, I didn't realize that. What a great point, you know, as we consider how God is light and what we've been talking about, and light travels in a straight line, and he is truth like we talked yesterday. Over here, Josiah, quickly. (laughs) Brother Michael, (laughs) you're going to get your exercise. The Lord has given us so much in in the visible world to demonstrate this. You know, we talk about the the light of the sun, and uh, it talks in Doctrine and Covenants about how the light of the sun is the light of the world, and how the Son of of God is the light to the world and produces that. But you know, when when the light is fractured, you get the colors of the rainbow, and they're beautiful, and each color is beautiful in its own right. And it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's part of the covenant, right, that God made that He would always see not just that He would not flood the world, but that literally that the rainbow is a symbol of the everlasting covenant. What's interesting to me, though, is sometimes we're willing to settle for one of the fractured colors of light. Like we 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 love the things of the gospel. We'll pick one thing out. But we were satisfied with the fracture instead of the whole thing, which produces the, the brilliant light of the white light that we see from, from the sun, which is the Son of God. And if we settle for a fracture of the gospel, it's beautiful, but it's not complete. And we have to have the Son, the Son of God, in the complete form where he dwells in, in Zion. And there's several references of rainbows surrounding the throne of God, you know, and so forth. Yeah. It's part of that, that all of it is complete in him. Thank you so much, Michael. It is fascinating. Yeah, and that promise is an effect of the light that we've been talking about. So we see how this, you know, permeates itself through all that we do, all the scriptures, all the things that the Lord speaks of, of his nature, be in light, and, and it's uh, it's pretty pretty remarkable. Back to section 45 and the verse that we've been talking about. I, I skipped over because I wanted to come back at the end and spend some time talking about the very first part of this scripture. It says, Even so I have sent mine everlasting covenant. And Michael's comment was a great segue into that. I want to talk a little bit about this everlasting covenant. So let me ask you this. Aren't aren't all of the covenants that God made everlasting? Aren't they all everlasting? Absolutely. He is, as we learned yesterday, omniscient omnipresent oh what was the third one (laughs) omnipotent thank you we learned he was all of these things so he is indeed everlasting so anytime that he makes a covenant it's everlasting isn't it men and women mankind are the only ones that are covenant breakers. 
and oftentimes uh, we see that happening. Uh, if you've got your sheet there, look under um, the heading, Mine Everlasting Covenant. I want to read to you a quote from um, a favorite author, and I'll tell you who that is here in a minute. It says, of all the covenants God has made, only one can be called the everlasting covenant without further identification. All other covenants must be specified as to which one is meant. As to the everlasting covenant made with Noah or Abraham or Sarah or any other individual or group or individuals, the everlasting covenant of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ stands alone and above all the everlasting covenant. And think about that. Oftentimes we quote the everlasting covenant as it's recorded in Genesis about Enoch. You know, it's a great promise for the latter days. Uh, saints looking upward, Zion looked downward. and But that is the everlasting covenant made with Enoch. The everlasting covenant that doesn't require any kind of description has to do with salvation. And it comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I, I always thought that was a pretty interesting distinction. And by the way, that was Thelona Stevens that that quote came from. She has a, a book called uh, Living Water, and I've taught class out of that book many uh, different times, but uh, Living Water is that book that she wrote, and she makes mention of this particular fact in that book, and that's, how, that's where I learned it, to be honest with you. I hadn't really considered it uh, much before that. So the everlasting covenant. So here we find in this scripture, let's read it again. And even so I have sent mine everlasting covenant into the world. And think about that, that everlasting covenant, that salvation, eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people and for the Gentiles to seek to it and to be a messenger, interesting, to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. So there's just an awful lot in that particular verse, and I thought that was worthy of spending a little bit of time uh, talking through that. The other theme scripture that we have today is out of Isaiah. So turn there to Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, and verse 8. And it says, excuse me, thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, and with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. And what an appropriate verse that is as we consider the theme today, a light breaking forth, because oftentimes we think about the, the restoration of the gospel. You know, the light has come forth. It's back from a time of darkness. It's back in these last days. And it's pointing us to Christ and the salvation that he offers. And it also is pointing us to the kingdom. That's a promise for the Latter-day Saints, the kingdom of God here on this earth. 
Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, and with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. I'm going to tell you, that's going to be a mighty work right there, because we don't often see eye to eye in these last days. Hurts my heart. It pains my heart. Brother Michael? Without Jesus Christ dwelling in the midst of, a, of his people, there is no Zion. I'm not sure if our microphone was working to pick up everything that you said there, Michael, but that captures the essence, I think, of it, what you were talking about. Yeah, Barb, there's a... Go ahead, Barb. I'll try to repeat. We're working on the microphone. Of the atonement. Without a doubt. It puts him right in the middle of salvation. Jesus Christ, the atonement satisfies the demands of his justice upon all those even that have not the law given unto them. So isn't that the grace of Christ? He's so gracious to us. I'm not sure that I answered your question, Barb, but but I think you're right. I'm going to affirm that that that's, that's correct. Christ is right in the middle of that plan of salvation. Yep, thank you so much for that. Any other thoughts before we continue on? Here in uh, chapter 52 of Isaiah, just to make note of this for you, if you pull out your your church history, volume 2, I find this fascinating. So there must have been a lot of debate and discussion back in the early days of the church. The elders asked Joseph to put this before the Lord because they had some questions about chapter 52 of the book of Isaiah. And the Lord responded, to those questions and gave them answer. And this is in uh, volume 2, page 139. And I'm just going to read this in very long. I'll, I'll read this to you just because I find it interesting. Uh, in the 52nd chapter, first verse, first verse, which said, Put on thy strength, O Zion, and what people had... Isaiah reference to. So that was the question. What what people was Isaiah referencing? And the answer is he had reference to those whom God should call in the last days. So this is a prophecy to those in the last days who should hold the power of priesthood to bring again Zion and the redemption of Israel and to put on her strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood which she, Zion, has the right to by lineage, also to return to that power which she had lost. And then it goes on to say, What are we to understand by Zion's loosing herself from the bands of her neck that's contained in the second verse? We are to understand that the scattered remnants are exhorted to return to the Lord from whence they had fallen, which if they do, the promise of the Lord is he will speak to them or give them revelation. And then it goes on to say, see the 6th, 7th, and 8th verses. We just read that 8th verses. The bands of the neck are the curses of God upon her, 
or the remnants of Israel in their scattered condition among the Gentiles. We've been studying the book of Isaiah back at Buckner in our adult Sunday school, and it speaks a lot of the scattered house of Israel and how they've been scattered amongst the Gentile nations. And this particular verse, or chapter rather, is very unique because it speaks to the last days. And I find it so affirming that the prophet Joseph Smith, Jr., petitioned the Lord, the Lord answered his petition, and gave those elders, those early elders, very clear understanding as to what this chapter meant. And specific to the verse that we were talking about, which was verse 8, these are the promises uh, to the scattered tribes of Israel. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, and with the voice together shall they sing, for they, shall, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. What a great promise, my friends. What a great promise. And I understand from that explanation that those scattered remnants of all the tribes of Israel are going to come together and they're going to see eye to eye. We have so much to look forward to. I'm so excited about the days that are ahead. It's troubling when we look and see and realize that we don't all see eye to eye necessarily today. Some of the different branches are different than others. We worship different. We do things different. I think, to Michael's point, when the Lord is in our midst, it's like the scales will fall away. And we won't even remember why it is that we didn't see eye to eye. But under his light, we will indeed see eye to eye. I really look forward to that day. You know, it's kind of like when when Christ came to the Nephites and he appeared to them and uh, he instructed them. And part of that instruction, you know, they they were wondering, well, what do we call ourselves And he said, why do you even (laughs) dispute this amongst you? It's my church. Call it by my name. He just made it so simple. And I think that that's what's going to happen when he comes again. I think he'll make it so simple for us. And we'll be like, I don't know why I didn't even understand that before. So anyway, I did a lot of talking there. Are there any questions or comments that you might have? Kyle? Kyle? It was in Church History, in Volume 2 of Church History, page 139. It describes, explains what's in that 52nd chapter of Isaiah. I I cheat because I made a photocopy and I taped it into my scripture. (laughs) Michael? I think something worth a study sometime to to look at on on your own is uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, if you if you look at that parable through the uh, viewpoint of the youngest son being the the northern tribes of Israel who did riotous living went and spent all of their their stuff from the father and went in among many nations and went out to the world and you look at it through that viewpoint and it says that you know he was out there in the world doing all these things among them eating from the trough of pigs and so forth and then came to himself 
at one point and then says, I must go and return to my father, and maybe he'll let me be a servant. Maybe he'll let me come back and do that. At least there I will have food and, and so forth and came back. If you look at that as the bringing back of those northern tribes back, and it says they came, and it says his father gave him a robe, gave him a ring, authority again, and sat him down, and, and then it says, and killed the fatted calf. And if you look carefully in the Doctrine and Covenants, it talks about Zion as that land of, and, and the fatted calf. And that's what struck me as being that. And, and then the, the older brother, being Judah, says, I, I've kept the law all these years, and you haven't done that for me. And it says, all that I have is thine, and all that I have will be yours, and that you don't need to be that. But he was upset because he heard the song. He heard the songs of Zion being sung. If you look at it from that standpoint, it's a beautiful rendition of what the Lord is doing in gathering the tribes of Israel back together in one and coming back into the Father's household. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you for that, Michael. That would be a good study. Any other comments or questions before we move on? All right, let's talk just a little bit more about um, this uh, everlasting covenant. Go back to uh, section 45, verse 2D. I've sent mine everlasting covenant into the world. Somebody give me, and maybe we've done this already, but give me a definition of what that everlasting covenant is. We talked about how the Lord is eternal and is everlasting. We talked a little bit about how it is that it is uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. Is there anything else that we can learn about that everlasting covenant? Barb? to the definition in Genesis 9 because there he says my everlasting covenant will occur when thy posterity embraces the truth and looks upward Zion will look downward and all the heavens will shake with gladness gladness. the earth will tremble with joy Zion will come down help the Assembly of the general assembly of the first a church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven and possess earth, and that's what he is called my everlasting covenant. Is that? I think I think he, a lot of what is contained in there is correct, and I, but I do think that there's more. Let's turn to Wayne. Go ahead. Over here, Isaac. Quickly. <laughs> I'm going to have fun with this today. <laughs> uh, it may be what you've been talking about already, but the word that section 661B gives it is the gospel. Thank you very much. That's where I was going with this, and all the things that, that Barb mentioned were are part of that. Turn to section 66. And it's uh, paragraph 1B. If you've got your handout sheet, I've got it uh, at least in part printed there for you. And I've got a cross-reference from 45.2D. I've always had that in there. 66.1B is my cross-reference. It says, Verily I say unto you, Blessed are you for receiving mine everlasting covenant, Okay, even the fullness of my gospel. So all of those things Barb mentioned are contained in the fullness 
of the gospel. So that everlasting covenant is the fullness of the gospel. And it's sent forth unto the children of men that they might have life and be made partakers of the glories which are to be revealed in the last days, as it was written by the prophets and apostles in days of old. So that everlasting covenant is the fullness of the gospel. So now let me ask you this. What do you know about the fullness of the gospel? Come on, Latter-day Saints. What's the fullness of the gospel? Brother Steve Willie. I believe in section 26, paragraph 2, Behold, this is wisdom in me. Wherefore, marvel not for the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you on the earth and with Moroni, whom I have sent unto you to reveal the Book of Mormon containing the fullness of my everlasting gospel. So I kind of think it's that, the, the Book of Mormon, that which came forth. And it's interesting to me, we talk about the, the light breaking forth. Um, you history teachers and students are, are better at this than me, but when we think of that year 1830, and we've talked about this before, a lot of things broke forth. The light of things broke forth. The, uh, the cotton gin and what, uh, the steam engine, all these things came forth in that year in 1830. I'm no history student uh, out, you know, of that nature, but it's interesting how as the church goes, so goes the nation. And the Lord provided this light that came, all these wonderful things that came about in that year of 1830. I, I just think that's interesting. I think not only that year, Steve, but since that time, think of all the advancements that have taken place around the world from 1830 to today. I can't remember who we were talking to. Yes, Just yesterday, we were talking about one of Brenda's grandmothers. She lived to be 104 years old. She lived in three centuries. So she lived... She born in, I think, 1898, if I remember right, and then passed, you know, she lived through three centuries. Um, I forget the exact year she passed, but she was 104 years old. Think about all the things that that woman saw in her lifetime. Um, The invention of the automobile, (laughs) the airplane, the telephone, the cell phone, and you can go on and on at the advancements that have taken place. So as you think about, thank you so much, Steve, the the light breaking forth in these last days, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all the things that came along with that, just as a testimony to the light that came forth and how much light that we've had. Sister Stephanie in the back. Steve, what was that? Section 26, paragraph 2A. Everett? One of the uh, Reformation leaders prophesied concerning the 260 uh, years or whatever it was 
1,264 years that things began in 1830 and great things would happen at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a great point, too. There's lots of, uh, if you go to the Old Testament and study that out, there's a lot of prophecy that talks about, you know, the... Um, how the church would go into apostasy after the time of Christ and how then it would come out of the wilderness, you know, having been nurtured for a long time, 1,260 years. And, it, it, you know, the Lord is just in those details. And it is really remarkable when you, when you start to piece those things together. It becomes very exciting and very alive. Brother Michael? Yeah, every time the gospel of Jesus Christ has come forth in whatever degree it has brought light to the world, so we can look at the, the time of the Reformation and how after that came the Age of Enlightenment. And then, like Brother Willie was talking about with, in 1830, the, the fullness of the gospel came here upon the earth and was restored, came out of the wilderness, the church did, and how after that you had the, the beginnings of what we call the Industrial Revolution, and everything changed uh, because of light had been shed forth, you know. And same way in the Book of Mormon when it talks about the, the, you know, where did they come up with the ability to build the civilizations? And they talk about the roads today were wider than ours and longer lasting than ours, you know. But that light came forth with Christ. And, and it says, the, you know, in the Bible and the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the putting down of false doctrine and to bear witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you so much for that. Isn't that true? Sister Eleanor over here. First, I would make the comment that many of you knew my husband, Jim Gregg. His mother rode in a covered wagon and lived to see her, her son help put a man on the moon. That's remarkable. Um, I want to refer you to section one. It also talks about the everlasting covenant, particularly 4 and 4D. That the Lord also might increase in the earth, that my everlasting covenant might be established, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple unto the ends of the world, and before kings and rulers. Thank you so much for that. What an excellent reference. That was section 1, verse 4e. Dad? It's interesting to note the Industrial Revolution. Many of those uh, inventions came about by Jews. Jews actually invented them. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So, obviously, we are blessed. Not only we, but the world has been blessed because of the light that broke forth. But when you boil it down to what is truly the heart of the matter, the fullness of the gospel, it goes back to that point that we talked about earlier, that um, it represents the salvation to mankind Turn to section 98 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm going to look at verse 5. Uh, 5K. It says, When men are called unto mine everlasting gospel, 
and covenant with an everlasting covenant, they are accounted as the salt of the earth and the savor of men. They are called to be the savor of men. Not savior, but the savor. When you are, uh, when you receive the fullness of the gospel, and that change takes place in your heart, and you go down and you make that covenant in the waters of baptism, what does the scripture say when you come up out of the waters of baptism? What are you then? A new creature. You're a new creature in Christ. There's something different about you. And that's what we're talking about here. And then you're called to be the salt of the earth. What does that mean? What's the salt? Well, what do we use salt for? Season, preserve, probably other things. Melt ice, I guess. It's not probably <laughs> doesn't go along exactly with what I wanted to talk about, but but there's something different that we are then called to be is we're called to be those that season that which is eaten by others, to share with them the truth so that they can take that into themselves. So there's something different about us. Don't we talk about um, people seeing? Brother Steve mentioned it this morning in his testimony, and I'm going to get it mixed up, but I'd rather see a good sermon than hear one was the essence about it. Or I think he said, um, I'm going to preach a sermon and I might use words. Might not. (laughs) They're going to see something in your life that is different, right? And hopefully they inquire of you of what's different about you. And you can share then the hope that lies within you. That's what we're talking about, saints. Any, does that make sense to everyone? Any comments there? Yep. Here. Something else that's extremely important, I feel like to bring out after K, and it's something if you go back from 1820 leading up to when the church was organized on April 6th of 1830, is it brings out the fact that once you've arrived at being that salt of the earth, you can still fall. And there is... There is counsel given by the Lord in the next couple of verses to that fact and how it's important to, in Greg's words, to always be on your game, to, to stay plugged into the Lord because eventually the salt can lose its savor and then it's good for nothing except for just to be trodden into the dirt. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about uh, what popped into my mind. Think about Lehi's vision. You know, I, I ponder on that often. You know, they go through such a trial. They walk and they hold on to the rod of iron. They make it through the mists of darkness. And there's that big building over there. And there's the river between. And they finally make it to the tree and they partake of the fruit. And even those that had partaken of the fruit, some of them fell away because they listened to the people in the great and spacious building. And and I get it. You know, peer pressure is, is strong, you know, and you got somebody pointing at you and laughing like, what are you doing partaking of that fruit? And they were embarrassed. And, and they wandered down, what's it say, crooked paths or perverse paths. You know, it, so we do have, to your point, Greg, we've got to be careful about that. Once we have 
partaken of that or, or become the salt, it doesn't mean it's all over with then and you can go sit in your recliner, you're done. You've got to nurture that relationship, don't you? The interesting thing about that vision that Lehi and Nephi had was the, the adversities of the world are much closer than, than the building because that river is filled with the filth of the world. So it is much closer than, than that building. That's a good point. I mean, it's right on the edge of the path is the way I picture yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marianne? There's a song that I have to listen to quite often as a reminder, and it's, Have you received his image in your countenance? I listen to that as a reminder to me so that I can continue to be strengthened and to be that salt. Thank you. That's, you know, music is such an important part of our worship and our everyday walk with Christ, as long as it's used appropriately. That's a great hymn. Thank you for that. His image in our countenance. Wayne? Something a lady said up at the Woodbine reunion several years ago about salt was that salt has to leave the shaker and contact the need to make a difference. That sounds like some very practical Woodbine advice right there. The salt has to leave the shaker. Just because you got to store it on the shelf doesn't mean it's doing any good to anything. <laughs> Thank you for that, Brother Steve. You know, we have to be the leaven that Christ has called us to be. And it's easy to go along with things the way they are and be a me-tour. But Joseph Smith was not a me-tour, was he? And I'm thinking about uh, Section 22. When he was 24 years old, the Lord used uh, him to bring forth this information in section 22. It says, Worlds without number have I created. And this was given right at 1830, 30 and a half or 31. For them for mine own purpose and by the Son I created them, which is mine only begotten. And the first man of all men have I called Adam, which is many. It says, but only an account of this earth and the inhabitants thereof give I unto you. And let's skip down to verse 23. And the Lord God spake unto Moses, saying, The heavens, they are many, and they cannot be numbered unto man. But they are numbered unto me, for they are mine. And as one earth shall pass away, even, and the heavens thereof, even so shall another come. He was 24 years old, I say. And all of these scientists... Uh, thought about how could this be? How could this 24-year-old boy <laughs> sorry about that Isaac this 24-year-old young man have this knowledge? How could he have this knowledge? That knowledge was given to him by God himself and that was right then at that time when the light was breaking forth. Yeah, with a third grade education. Didn't we just read a scripture about the weak and simple of the world? We'll go before kings and rulers. Joseph Smith Jr., what a good example, you know, of where he was able to go with this gospel worldwide. Let's, uh, let's turn, stay in Doctrine and Covenants, turn over to section 108. 
and go down to verse 11. Just the first uh, first part of that verse, verse a, 11a. It says, And for this cause that men might be made partakers of the glories which were to be revealed, the Lord sent forth the fullness of his gospel, his everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity, to prepare the weak for those things which are coming on the earth. Talked a minute ago about the simple uh, counsel from Woodbine, Iowa. Sometimes the best messages are not the most complex to decipher, but the simple message. Because that's what people remember. And that's what ministers to the heart and the soul of people is that simple message of salvation. And in this case, this plainness and simplicity of the fullness of the gospel. Um, we're going to take a little break. I think it's about time to do that. And uh, we'll come back up because I want to, when we finish from our break and come back, I want to talk about the plainness that was just mentioned in this uh, particular scripture. So let's take about a 10-minute break. Right at 11 o'clock, we'll start back up again.